0: that we would be quick to listen and slow to speak. Father, that we would truly love those around us. Father, I pray that our community would see you through us, through our actions, through the words that we say, through the love that we share. Father, I pray that you would be with us, that you would give us the words to say when it is time to speak. Father, be with our neighborhood. And just be with us this morning as we worship you together. It's in your son's name we all pray. Amen. So before we dig in together this morning, I want to tell you about a woman named Barbara Taylor. So she won an award at Yale in 1993. She won it for distinction in ministry. And after her acceptance sermon, a man comes up to her and was talking with her. And Barbara had this to say about what he told her. She says, who knows what it was all about? All I remember is a man who came out afterwards, sensible, well healed, looking slightly stunned, who told me God had spoken to him during the sermon that morning, and he was going to quit his job on Monday. He was going to sell his car, and he was going to change his life. To which I said, Good grief, it was only a sermon. Give yourself some time. (laughs) Sleep on it. Go get a cup of coffee. See how you feel in the morning. Do something other than change now. She says, Because we are old friends with the word by now, we have forgotten its power. We read scripture out loud as though we're reading income tax instructions. There's nothing to get excited about anymore. She said, you can buy dish towels with the Beatitudes on it. You can give Bibles to your children without worrying that what they will read will upset their lives. And she ended the interview with these words. She said, the word that created... Heaven and earth, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, the word that blew through an upper room and set believers' heads on fire, that word is still loose in a world that cannot contain it. In this world, we still have people seeking out that word. Still seeking those also who will hear it and speak it, walking with the sleepers, freeing the prisoners, and raising the dead. So don't come into this place this morning hoping to get read income tax instructions. We're not doing that. We're going to go through a lot of things today. We're going we're gonna to flip through the book, believe it or not. Just like Barbara said, the words on these pages are not just words. They're history, they're life, they're truth, they're everything. All of this happened. The people that are in this book are real people. So let's read this book this morning like it holds the power that we say it does. And that it says it does. So this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be on page 969 if you're using the Bibles in the pews in front of you. And also, if you would like to take this Bible, feel free to take it. If you've got somebody you know that you would like to give this Bible to, take it. But I'm going to be reading out of this Bible this morning that we all have in front of us. And there will also be the words up on the screen as well. We'll be going through verses 1 through 12, which are also known as the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude literally means blessing. So we're just going to read through some blessings that God promises us. So we're going to be in Matthew 5. We're going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 12. It's actually on page 968. I lied to you. I'm sorry. I got you close. I got you close. You're in the ballpark. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So these famous words of Jesus speak of blessings. And these blessings ring out through his entire ministry. Who did Jesus come for? Rhetorical question. Who did Jesus come for? Who was his ministry for? Who did he speak to the most? I would say he came for the broken. I would say he spoke to the outcast. Those who are not deemed worthy by society are deemed worthy by God. And Jesus makes that apparent in his ministry. And everything... He does. It's geared towards those that do not deem themselves worthy because society has told them that they're not. There are quite a few times in my life that I would not deem myself worthy of God's love and His grace and His mercy, let alone being offered the kingdom of heaven. That blows my mind. And if we think that we're worthy of the kingdom of God based off of what we can do, based off of our own righteousness, I would really tell you to look hard. Look in the mirror. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. Put your finger in Matthew real quick, Matthew 5. Or slide your bulletin in there or something. Flip the page 1128. 1128. I want us all to see this in front of us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 this. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Not even one person is is righteous by themselves. There's nothing, no deed that we can do. There's no miraculous thing that we can give to someone that deems us worthy, that deems us righteous because of us. There's not even one. And the people who are hearing this teaching by Jesus in Matthew 5 are a mixed crowd. But Jesus decides to step on all of their toes, not just one. He makes it very clear what he has to say during this passage. Those who thought that they were righteous based off of what they did, worldly and societal achievements that they could have, they're getting an earful. In this world that favors and promotes power, wealth, and societal status, Jesus is completely flipping this worldly kingdom upside down. Those who let their worldly status get in the way are seeing that they are truly blind. Because God's favor is found among the powerless. God's favor is found with those without resources. They think more highly of themselves than they ought to. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever think that they're great? And then five minutes later, they mess up. (laughs) I did it this morning twice. Twice. I'm like, man, I'm so great. I just hope my thoughts make sense. (laughs) But they think more highly of themselves than they ought to because no one is righteous, not even one. No one is righteous by themselves. Listen, don't let things get in the way of what truly lasts. Because that's really easy to do. We get wrapped up in a car and then we wreck it. We get wrapped up in a house and then it burns down. We get wrapped up in a lot of things and then they just go as quick as they come. But Jesus never goes, God never leaves. He is faithful forever. And the people in this crowd that Jesus is speaking to are not really ready to hear this. They're not really ready to hear these words that we just spread. They aren't ready for a teaching that says, the lesser are greater, really. Listen to me when I tell you, the lesser are greater. I'm being honest. They're waiting for Jesus to say, powerful are going to get it all. The righteous are going to get it all those who are righteous by themselves. Let me give you an example. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? These people are really expecting to hear, Blessed are those for, who are in power, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There are some among them who are ready to hear. Blessed are the sons of Abraham, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But Jesus doesn't say that. He said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God." What does that mean? I used to think it, hap- it meant what happens during Monopoly. Anybody here like the game Monopoly? You all are sinners. And you need to repent. (laughs) My wife Shelby is obsessed with that game. I love you so much. Every time somebody says that they want to play a board game, Shelby immediately shouts out, Monopoly! And everybody cringes in the room. I do not like the game Monopoly. She is relentless and she does not take no for an answer. It's tiring. Really, it's tiring. Sometimes I can talk her out of it, but I really rarely win the battle. All the husbands are like, yeah, we yeah. But Shelby loves Monopoly, and I have a theory why. Because she always wins. I can start out with a million dollars, and she starts out with five, and she wins. What does that say about my use of money? (laughs) It speaks terrible about my use of money. And somehow, she always ends up with all the properties, and I have two, and I'm hoping that I can somehow roll a 30 on two dice and, (laughs) and get to the other side of the board so that I don't have to pay her money I don't have. And then in her next turn, somehow she buys both. Is that even possible? She will even go to lengths. I, I promise, sweetheart, I'm almost done. She will even, see, the preacher's got to preach. She will even go to lengths of letting me borrow her money so then she can get it back. Who does that? And I'm like, yeah, this is what the poor and suffering were going through. This is the poor in spirit. I have none now. Thank you, sweetheart. And by the time, by the time Shelby's like, okay, I'm done. I'm trying to keep my mind positive because she's my wife and I love her. Anyone ever been there after Monopoly? Oh, come on, have some courage. I just stood up here and poured out my whole heart. Raise your hand. Honestly, I've heard that the new slogan of that game is tearing families apart since 1935. (laughs) But, anyways, I digress. It is these times that some of those people are facing, but they're not the poor in spirit. They may feel defeated but they're not the poor in spirit. They don't feel like... The poor in spirit is that you don't feel like you're worthy of the love of God. You're not worthy of what is offered. And sometimes it's not just poor people that feel that way. Sometimes people with material things, can they get there too. They just have to get out of the way of their own possessions and admit and realize who they truly are, which is a broken person. But for the majority in this crowd, they believed in self-righteousness. And Jesus comes up to them, and he sits in front of them and says, actually, really, it's for the broken people. It's not for you. He says it's for the broken people not just those that are done with the Monopoly game, but actually the broken people. It's for those who are so poor that they must beg. The kingdom of God is for the people who realize how broken they are and that they cannot achieve righteousness by themselves. Those are the poor in spirit. Jesus didn't say Pharisees. He didn't say Jews. He didn't say people who have done the best that they can or who is best based off of what society says is best. He says it's broken people. Those are the ones that inherit the kingdom of God because they rely on Jesus. So Jesus' audience is just sitting there hearing what they've just heard. And from their tradition and from their society, Jesus just destroys it all. Their society says you're righteous based off of how much you get, how much you do, what you have. Not the case. He comes in with a message that challenges everything that everybody in that room thought was right. Every single one of those people in that crowd Not even one of them is righteous by themselves. They are the poor in spirit. We are the poor in spirit. We cannot do it by ourselves. None of us are righteous. None of us are worthy. And none of us should feel that we are worthy. That is without Jesus. But see, when we come to the realization that we are worthy, when we realize just how broken we are and how much we have to rely on God and on Jesus, that's when it happens. And we need to own up to it. We need to confess that Jesus is the one who can make the kingdom of God ours. It's like Jesus will go on to say in Matthew 5, verse 20. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Basically, what he's saying here is he's saying, look, you cannot do it by yourself. You cannot get in based on your own righteousness. And so the Beatitudes go on, throwing off all of these misunderstandings. Of what being a devoted follower of God is, and what everyone truly needs. You see, it's these words, it's the beatitudes lived out. That get basically that get Jesus killed. This upside down king. I mean, besides him saying that he's the son of God and he's the Messiah, that helped. But but flipping the entire pyramid doesn't help him. Turning upside down this pyramid of righteousness that was held up by society does not help him. The constant lessons on what being a devoted follower looks like as well as how he showed these in his own ministry. So let's look at some things. Let's look at some scripture. I told you all we'd be flipping through here. I better get on it. But stay in Matthew 5, keep that, keep that, because we're going to go back to it. All right, who's ready to dig in? Let's go. If y'all are ready, say amen. Let's go. All right. So Matthew 5, verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Go to Psalm 34, which is on page 554, I promise it's on that page. On 554 is Psalm 34, verses 17 through 19. See, I did it again. I flipped to the wrong page. I do that a lot. Okay, verses 17 through 19 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So not only does God comfort those who are hurting, but he tells us to as well. For when we comfort those, we will be comforted as well. We are told that it is a part of holding this net that Jason talked about last week. Doing this is a part of holding that net for people who need it. People who need who are falling and need the help. This is a part of holding the net. We are told that we are supposed to hold this net because if you hold it, then when you need it held, they'll hold it for you. It is our obligation and our calling to hold this net and catch them and comfort them. Matthew 5 verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. First of all, in order to be meek, this is what it means. It does not mean that you are a weak person. I always made that because meek and weak are kind of, they sound the same. That's how my mind works. Oh, that sounds like weak. But it's not. Meek means a willingness to submit and work under the proper authority. So in Psalm 37, verse 11, on page 557. Didn't make you go that far. Psalm 37, verse 11. It says, But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So there are two places, both in the sermon that Jesus is giving and in Psalms, that we read about meekness. Those who are willing to submit and work under a higher authority, which is God, inherit the land. They will come out on top. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you hunger and you thirst for something, you go for it. If you're hungry for something, you go to the kitchen and you get it. If you want a drink of water, come and get it. But you have to come, you have to go and get it. You have this desire for it, which propels you to go and get it. Everywhere you look, if you hunger for, and thirst for righteousness, everywhere you look, the grass is greener on the other side. It's always greener than where you stand. And you long for that other side. You want to get to that other side. You can't hold it in. You have to go for it. If we keep doing the same things that we're doing and we're not finding the fulfillment, we're really just tilting back glasses of air hoping there's water in it. We deceive ourselves. C.S. Lewis said If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, chances are I was probably made for another world. We are not made for this world, we are made for something greater a different kingdom than the one that the devil tries to offer us. Because the devil even tried to get Jesus. He said, I can give you what's in this world. I'm like, dude, you're talking to the Son of God. He already knows. Why are you wasting your time? But he tells us the same thing. And some of us believe him. There there is a better kingdom Than this one. Matthew 5, 7 through 8 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. John Piper said, the key to becoming a merciful person is becoming a broken person. You get the power to show mercy from the real feeling in your heart that you owe everything you are and have to sheer divine mercy. What does that mean? That means we show mercy because we were shown mercy. God showed us mercy. Did we deserve it? That's non-rhetorical. Did we deserve it? No. But he did it anyway. And if somebody needs to be shown mercy and they don't deserve it, we were. We were shown mercy. Show them mercy anyway. Matthew 23, on page 991, verses 25 through 26. says woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees you hypocrites you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces I'm making sure i'm reading the right thing i'm not 23 woe to you teachers of the law and ph- I'm really sorry, guys. I promise I was prepared. Oh, that's the one I'm looking for. (laughs) Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish. I told you I'd find it. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside, they are still full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. The aim of Jesus is not to reform the manners of society, but to change the hearts of people to reform society. Come on. Amen. Somebody. The aim of Jesus is not to reform society solely, but it is to reform our hearts so that then we will reflect that change and it will change society. That is the aim. He's telling the Pharisees, you don't clean the outside of the bowl. And leave the inside dirty. The bowl is still dirty. He's saying that this cleansing has to happen on the inside of us. I don't care if you're wearing a three-piece suit this morning. The cleansing needs to happen in here. Then it will be reflected. You can do all of the good works that you want. But there is no work that you can do without faith that will hold any weight. So, for example, Jesus is not just satisfied in a society where no acts of adultery are committed physically. But then there are still men looking at other women with lust. Matthew 5.28 says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In Matthew five verse nine, it says, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God." If you're in Matthew five right now, or actually if you're not, flip to it. If you're in Matthew five verse nine right now, I want you to write this in in the side. If you're taking the Bible, I want you to write this in the side or if you have your own. True children of the Father resemble the Father. Write that down. True children of the Father resemble the Father. Jesus made peace among men and between men and God. In fact, it was Jesus who said the two greatest commandments are love God and Love others. You pass the quiz. Congratulations. But love God, love others. Peacemakers not only do this, but they ask people and they promote people to do it as well. Because they will be called children of God. When Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, he's not telling us how to become a son or a daughter of God. Jesus is simply saying that children are peacemakers. Children of God are peacemakers. For they will be called the children of God because they reflect God. Believe it or not, God is a peacemaker. Matthew 5 verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Believe it or not, guys, there are still Christians in this world that are being persecuted. That, that isn't done. Shelby and I have friends in a South African country who are... Mer- or, mer- or, oh my gosh. Missionaries. Thank you. Interactive. I like it. Jason, your turn. I'm done. (laughs) They're being undercover missionaries (laughs) because they can't be public with their faith because it will get them thrown in prison or worse. Persecution of Christians still exists. And it's not just in those countries. Anyone in here ever been persecuted here? Here. Anyone at their job ever been persecuted? Anyone ever been persecuted by a stranger before? It's not something that's 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 just over there. Persecution still happens. America still needs missionaries too. That's us. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, on page 1199, in verse 12. I love the sound of Bible pages turning. On page 1199, it says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Star that. So it's not just limited to other countries where Christianity is illegal, it's here also. But when you are being persecuted and it's hard and it hurts, just know that you are blessed because of it. You are blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven as well. In Matthew 5, 12 through 13. 12 through 13. It says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. In this message, Jesus is challenging everyone listening and saying, this is what it looks like. And if you do it right, you're going to be blessed because of it. What you thought isn't what it is, but I'll tell you what it is. And you're going to be blessed because of it. Jesus Jesus offers blessings from God because we live a life like this we will be blessed. If we do what this says, we will be blessed. Troy read last week, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So what do we have to do to be this salt and this light? What do we have to do to be blessed by God? in the way that he promises. You hold the net. You be a blessing to others. And if you're put in a situation where you're persecuted, know that you are blessed. Know that if you are being a follower, you are blessed. God promises that. Show people the love of God by example. If we're going to be a part of this flipped upside down kingdom, y'all, you've got you to gotta buy into it. If we're going to be a part of this, you've got you to gotta be all in. Amen. We need to be the salt. We need to be the light. In verse 16 of chapter 5, It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Believe it or not, you just doing these things is outreach. Believe it or not, being a blessing for other people is outreach. You will be blessed because of it. But if we're going to be the light in this world we have to hold the net. We have to admit that we're broken. We have to comfort those who are mourning so that they will comfort us as well. We have to be We have to be people that are okay with submitting and following a higher authority. We have to hunger and thirst for righteousness and go for it. We have to show mercy to others. We have to be pure in heart. We have to have Pure hearts, because God does not look at outward appearance. In First Samuel 16 verse seven, it says, God does not man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So create in us a pure heart. And we have to be, bring peace among men and God and be peacemakers. We have to be okay with being persecuted. Because if we are going to be the salt and the light in this world, we are going to be persecuted. People are going to say things. Things are going to happen. But just know that you are blessed because of it. Like we read in verse 12, Great is your reward. Great is our reward. So if I can offer any advice this morning, it's this. Keep your eye on the prize. Because it's really easy to live in a different way. There are a lot of situations where it's easier And you can be okay with this kingdom. But I'm telling you, it's not going to last. You can read in this book, it's not going to last forever. The kingdom of God will last forever, I can tell you that. We are promised by God. Don't settle. Don't get caught up in it. Don't think that what society says is always correct. This isn't the best that there is. But there is something better that we have through Jesus. And if we are salt and light in this world, we will be blessed because of it. It is because we have bought into and gone all in on this upside-down kingdom that Jesus has brought, and we are in. Keep your eye on the prize, guys. Don't lose sight of it. All right, let's pray. Father, we see more and more hard times in this world. But thank you for the opportunities that you give us to be the salt and the light in that world. Help us to see people as you see them. Beautiful but broken at the same time. Keep us safe from the temptations that Satan wants to bring to us. Tell us the lies that we are not the light, we are not the salt. We can't do anything. But God, you say different. Help us to be the light in our neighborhood, God. Help us to be the salt in our neighborhood. A salt that keeps its saltiness but does not lose it. And I pray that people will grow closer to you because of us. I pray that people will find you because of us. Father, place us in situations where we can be that light and that salt. And Father, bless us as you have promised. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.